Today is August 15th, 2018. My name is Jesse Edmond, and um, I'm confused about something again. Hi Jesse, um, Colin Green, Spike Pit here, listening to your episode on uh, comic books, and I was intrigued, I wonder, have you ever heard of Commando comics, they're like a, well I believe they're a UK thing, they're published by a company now called Carlton Books, and I picked up a few years back a load of their anthologies, and I was reading through them with my son, and they're all they're all black and white line art. And we was having a bit of an exchange on G Plus recently about them. Um, but yeah, as you're a bit of a, seems you're a bit of a comic aficionado, I wondered if you'd ever heard or seen them. I think they've got really good art. And I like the, they're mostly World War II. Uh, I like the historical leaning that they got. Anyway, keep up the good work, mate. Catch you later. That was none other than Spike Pit himself. Colin Green, uh, Colin, um, it's always great to hear hear from you. I realized that I meant to call you Spike Pit and Colin in the last episode, uh, but I called you Spike Pit both times. Um, you have a really real name, but you have a cool nickname, so you know. Um, I have heard of Commando Comics. Um, I've never read a lot of war comics in general, um, and. Comics in the UK were hard to come by when I was growing up. So I ended up, you know, finding reprints of stories from 2000 AD, um, mostly Judge Dredd, um, but like some uh, uh, Johnny Alpha was the character. I can't think of the name of it. Um and then, you know, you'd find reprints from uh, stories that started in Warrior, of course, because that was like V for Vendetta and whatnot. Um, I was also always fascinated by <clears throat> uh, Action Force and um, the Transformers comics from the UK because there were a lot more of them. So, um, yeah, I... I uh, it's, it's one of my weaker sections of my, uh, my expertise. Um, but I have heard of commando comics. I didn't know that they were all black and white and it makes me wonder if they might be, uh, reprints because there were a lot of reprints done for a long time. Um, that were just kind of collected into magazines, uh, which is kind of where, um, the character of, uh, uh, Marvel man, who would eventually become known as Miracle Man came from. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a cool piece of, of comic book history though, that, that people should check out. Um, especially like there's, that's something that, that really doesn't get brought up a lot. There's some really cool war comics out there. Um, I actually am a big fan of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, uh, because it's fun, you know, crazy wartime stuff um, with some problematic elements, but 
the standout is, of course, uh, Sergeant Rock. Um, Sergeant Rock, the, the, in, in, that series stands as the best war series I've ever read. I haven't read the entire thing, obviously. Um, but, um, you know, there's some, there's, there's a whole bunch. If you do a little bit of research, um, maybe I'll do a whole episode on that. Not today though, but I am going to talk a little bit more about comic books. So I enigmatically mentioned the whole, uh, Stan Lee thing last time. And I guess I want to talk a little bit about it because right now Stanley is is in a bit of a crisis. Um, it may be a self-made crisis. Uh, in fact, it seems as though he is making the decisions to choose to to be in that um, and is of sound enough mind to do so. Um, regardless of whether Stan is or is not in decline. Um, you know, I, I hope everything turns out well. Uh, I have some friends in the industry that are, that are working really hard to make sure that Stan is taken care of and, and, you know, checked in on and isn't being taken advantage of. Um, but regardless of that, Stan serves a very specific purpose in comic book in comic book history, um, and it is not what he is generally attributed for. Uh, when when he negotiated a contract with Martin Goodman um, to help <clears throat> save uh, Atlas Comics, which had been once timely, um, was forced to change, change its name for a reason that I don't recall. Um, and would eventually become Marvel uh, with the printing of um, Fantastic Four number one. Um, the way he, he basically said, I have a way to save this company. Uh, and my way of saving this company is so significant that um, you should pay me a lot. But you can't pay me a lot. So what I'd rather do is have credit on all comics uh, written from here on. So that meant any new characters he would continue to get creator rights on, whatever it might be. Now, to his credit, Stan did work on scripting to some extent. He would he would receive the, the, the finished art with most of the dialogue complete, and he'd punch it up. He'd pu- kind of punch up the dialogue. So... Yes, he was doing some writing, um, but it wasn't as if he was, you know, he didn't invent the Fantastic Four, as most people uh, seem to believe. Um, or most people have been led to believe, let's say. Um but what he actually managed to do, if you ask me, is way more impressive than just create a few characters that have cool abilities and backgrounds and whatnot. 
Um, what he managed to do is he managed to use resources that were severely limited to essentially save the comic book industry. So what does that mean? How did Stan Lee save the comic book industry? Well, at the time, um, it was after Frederick Wortham had written Seduction of the Innocent. Uh, it was... Um, you know, it was, it was, we're well into the silver age of, of DC comics published by national publishing. Um, but horror comics and, and some of these other, you know, fringe comics had kind of gone by the wayside. Western comics had done pretty well. Superheroes had just started to see a resurgence. Um, but Marvel hadn't really, what would become Marvel, hadn't really caught on. So what they had was this series of anthology stories that were very much Twilight zone Um, You know, like, uh, this character finds this old um, chest in his house, and he sees a sign on it says, do not open. He's like, hey, it's my house. He opens the chest and there's something bad in it. Um, I feel like I just recounted like maybe a straight 22% of the stories that were published around that time before FF number one. But the the other issue was that they didn't have a lot of money and they and Martin Goodman uh the 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 um founder and benefactor of what would become Marvel Comics um would was not super well liked in the publishing industry so Stanley finally managed to secure a deal. And I'm not, I don't know if it was Stan, but I I know he was involved. He managed to secure a deal to be published by a company, most unlikely of companies, that would be National Publishing. Um, So National Publishing is, is publishing DC Comics. They've almost entirely done away with other magazines that they had been publishing because they're making so much on Superman and Batman and now Justice League. Um, And so they they agree to publish Atlas Comics. And, you know, okay, well, that puts them in a really good position. Um... And they say, okay, we'll publish your stuff. You can only publish eight comics a month. So eight titles a month. That's what you get. Um, That is not enough uh, at the time for a comic book company to maintain its solvency. You know, you're not going to stay in the red with publishing costs and, and, and everything else. Um, paying writers and artists and everything. If you are producing only eight titles a month, 
Um, so, you know, you've got your Tales to Astonish and you've got your, your, uh, Tales of Suspense, Strange Tales. They had a lot of tales at the time. Um, uh, Amazing Adult Fantasy. I'm trying to think of some of the other titles that were being published at the time. Millie the Model, um, uh, Rawhide Kid, you know, some, some different genre books. So, here we are, we've got eight books a month, we're not going to make a ton of money, which is why you've got Stan taking that deal where he's basically saying, you know, I'll take a cut in pay as long as I can, in perpetuity, have rights as a creator of what's coming. He also comes up with this idea that they are going to only, if they're going to to only publish eight books a month, then they're going to publish each book bi-monthly. So uh, in, um, in, you know, November... Issue one comes out in January. Issue two comes out, etc., etc., etc. Then in the off months, you publish a different eight books. So you end up publishing 16 books, which is enough for a publisher to say solvent. Uh, that's enough content. Um, and, and Stan came up with that idea. That was, that was him. Um, and he came up with a model wherein... Uh, the the various creators working for the company, uh, including Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, um, were able to work on multiple books, more books than they would have been otherwise, um, and create these stories. And so you got these kind of top-tier famous artists who were well-regarded, doing more work all of a sudden. Um, and uh, and that, that allowed him to produce a whole series of books, including um, a sell, an issue of Tales to Astonish, which introduced a, a man named Hank Pym, who shrunk himself um, and fought some bees or something. Um, and then a couple months later, Introduced the world to the Fantastic Four. And um, Fantastic Four was was published in November of 1961. Uh, and then the second issue is January of 1962. So, um, you know, you really want to really see that in, in place. That's exactly where it is. So I guess maybe this is where my confusion comes in. Do we give Stan Lee credit for creating the Marvel Universe? He gets it, and he'll probably get it 
for the rest of my lifetime and probably for the rest of history now that these these series have been you know these these stories have have, have come to an international esteem um I mean, Stan is is Stan Stan's the man, right? Stan is the the guy who uh, filled the world with dudes in costumes, and uh, you know, changed the way we we looked at comics. I mean, he, you know, that, that's that's what people view, um, but. So much of that came from other creators, you know, <clears throat> even after Jack Kirby. I mean, Roy Thomas and and uh, John Romita and, and, you know, all these other guys that, that were given artist credits, not writer credits, um, because they had different, different negotiation on their contracts. Um, but they still did a lot of writing. And, you know... I guess Ray Thomas is best known as a writer. I don't know. Maybe not entirely accurate. But still, the point is that we have to give Stan some credit. Um, because he did an amazing, amazing thing. As a business person, as a shill man, I mean, a guy could, you know, you, you talk about somebody that could sell ice to Eskimos. Nobody cared about superheroes for the most part of the time. Um, you know, they were they were kitty books. Nobody cared, and uh, and he made it cool. He made he made these characters that college students wanted to read about and and, and check out those stories. Um, he changed the demographic. Um, you know, through through business practice and and meticulous. Uh, adherence to a specific guide, I guess. Um, you know, he, he, he knew, he knew that comic books could be something more and viewed as something more. And I guess that's what he did. So we give, so, but that's the thing you don't, how do you explain that to somebody? How do you explain? Yeah, Stanley's, it's really, really important, but not for the reason you think. Or is it easier to just shorthand you know, yeah, Stan Lee, yeah, he created all these characters, fine, right, it's just, it's just a little simpler to just say that, um, than say, yeah, he, he initiated business practices that, that allowed comics to become what they are now, you know, we, we owe comic book fans, and, and I think fans of, of anything having to do with superheroes, I think, oh, Stanley, a debt of gratitude for that, but it's hard to explain. So maybe that's why I've always thought that that's why he did it. I always thought that his attitude was he wouldn't be remembered unless he was remembered as a creator. Um, and it's impressive, but I guess that's part of, of the way I look at things though, you know? Like, I, I want to see the truth. I want to know what, what's what's real and everything like that. And that's not always important to everybody. Um, but that's me. Because, you know, as you know, confusion is my superpower.
As always, you can find me as Doc Palindrome pretty much everywhere. Um, I actually just made sure that my Google Plus is also Doc Palindrome. I don't do a lot with Google Plus because, I don't know, I was late into it. And, um, you know, I get grumpy about Google. I know they do good stuff, but, you know, there's things. I'll talk about that in the future at some point. Um, but I can, yeah, I'm at Doc Palindrome on Twitter, uh, on Instagram. Um, and you can also find me at, uh, as Doc Palindrome at patreon.com slash Doc Palindrome, uh, where I just, I've added two new levels. Um, level one is where you get a mention on this show. Uh, and I will do that. Uh, level two, you get an interview on the show. Yeah, I'm going to interview you. Get you on and say, hey, man. Or ma'am. Or hey, you, what's up? You know? And we'll, we'll chat, and that'll be an episode. You know, what will I be confused about on that episode? You. I, I, I want to learn more about you. Um, so go check that out. One dollar, two dollar, four dollar. Um, the four dollar one is uh, is a is a brand new one uh, related to some other stuff that I've been working on. But I've been writing for a long time, so there's a lot of content to be, be gleaned from that. So um, yeah, so uh, find me as Doc Palindrome, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>